Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Oh, hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Myths, baby. The show that examines how utterly garbage some men of the ancient world were. I'm your host, Liv. She who is bound to hear not all men at least once after this episode airs. We'll see. Maybe I'll keep a tally. Well, as if that didn't set it up well enough, I am here with a conversation with Imogen Briscoe, a PhD student studying Ovid's quote-unquote love poetry. Most of which is, I mean, we, we, we'll we get into it. Uh, but a couple of years ago, maybe it was like only last year, I don't even remember. Uh, anyway, I covered some of Ovid's Ars Amatoria on the show because it is absolutely batshit fucking bananas. It is misogyny in a text. It is literally the original handbook to modern pickup artistry. It is wild. And so when I heard from Imogen pitching this as a topic for a conversation, I nearly lost my mind with excitement. We recorded it a while ago, as you will hear, for reasons. Um, and I was just so thrilled to air it around Valentine's Day. Because apparently I'm, I'm fun for Valentine's Day. It is, it's exactly as good as I expected it to, this conversation. Plus, I got ranty, um, so it's long enough without me dragging out the introduction. Just know, well, like, big trigger warnings, because for real, it's gross and entertaining, um, but gross. Uh, there's talk about how men can best convince women to have sex with them, or worse, you know, force them. It, and it's, it's so, it's much more in that realm than the former, 
Um, yeah, so it, it is it is very dark. It is pickup artistry from the ancient world. But I do promise we have fun with it because it's the only way to speak about something like this without devolving into a pit of sadness that humanity has not come far at all in the intervening 2000 years. Like, for, for real. It's a little it's a little too on the nose. But just beware. <laughs> Conversations when Ovid invented pickup artistry. The Ars Amatoria with Imogen Briscoe. I am I'm so excited to talk about this because I just the Ars Amatoria is is so utterly wild yeah. uh so as soon as i saw you know those those words uh, uh <laughs> next to your name in my little form i was like oh shit no like i'm so keen um yeah so i mean i don't even totally know where to begin but maybe like what drew you to be studying this baffling and also so deeply entertaining work like what do you love about it i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah no that's it's a really interesting question um I think I kind of started with the Amores and then mm. worked my way through to the Ars Amatoria. I mean, I, I did the Amores as like translation at school. So the, the slightly less racy parts of it, um, they kind <laughs> yeah. of set you the nicer passages. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was, it wasn't until like my third year of my undergrad that I really looked at the Ars Amatoria properly. Um, and I remember being set this question of, uh, as like a seminar prep of like, can you think of any modern things that this reminds you of? Like you're going to read the whole Ars Amatoria. What can you think of? And I remember doing like a, a short forum post about um, the Dennis system from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and talking about his kind of pickup artist systems and how Ovid is, you know, essentially doing the same thing. And I think that's kind of where it all came from was this idea that like, we can see such a continuation from the ancient all the way through to the modern. And that's really what I look at now in my research. Um, so my thesis at the moment, I mean, I'm kind of coming to the end of my first year, starting my second year. Um, so I'm sure it will have changed by the time this podcast comes out, let alone, um, you know, in a couple of years. But at the moment, my focus is really on masculinity in Ovid's amatory works. So mm. the Amores, Ars Amatoria and the Remedio Amores as well. So like the, the cures for love. Um, and yeah, this this idea of like the the links with pickup artists in the modern day, I find really interesting um, and something that I think hasn't been touched on as much yet, which is what I'm hoping to do, is um, the way that Ovid has been. I'd like to say co-opted, but I don't think he has necessarily been co-opted. I think he's been taken at his word by um, modern incel groups as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of, of relevance to the modern day. And I think that's what keeps me coming back to Ovid constantly is, is this idea that he's always relevant somehow, no matter what's going on. There's just something about him that I, you know, you can keep relating to the modern day, but also that's just, I can't figure him out as a person like you said, of like the Ovid of it all. Yes. He's completely baffling. He really is. And like, so I joke about this a lot on the show. Like I, 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 Rome is not my favorite. I'm all about Greece all the time, except that I love <laughs> Ovid because 
like one, most of what I've read is metamorphoses, which is just a beautiful, you know, way of capturing primarily Greek myths, hence why yeah. I'm able to love it. Um, but what is so interesting to me about the metamorphoses, it is like in complete contrast to the Rs, which is that like in the metamorphoses, he seems to have a real sympathy for the plight of women who are assaulted by gods. That is what makes him quite unique amongst mythological sourcing is that like he cares. He says it's assault. He has empathy for the plight of these women and, you know, other people as well who are who are facing down the gods in this way. And then he goes and writes the Ars Amatorium, which is like yeah. nasty in the most entertaining way. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, like when I was reading it, I also just kept being like, wait, like, what am I reading? Like, it's like when you know Ovid, you read it and you just think, okay, like, are is this tongue in cheek? Are you playing with us? Is this serious? I think that it it has such elements of both that I can only imagine that it would just be, yeah, like a wealth of of information for you to piece through in your study because like it's really baffling like what what do you think about how like what his intentions might have been with it yeah I think I think I mean in terms of like my own writing I try not to go down I'm sure you've heard this before I think even with like you know other people from Exeter doing of it who've come on and you know we talk about authorial intention is is difficult and I try not to go too far into it in my actual work because you yeah. know that way lies madness essentially but <laughs> I, I I like to think about Ovid as a person and, and yeah. think about whether he's genuine or not I think it's a fun thought exercise whether or not we can actually put it into our scholarship and um yeah we'll never have the answer yeah. but like the theorizing exactly. can be there yeah 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 I, I mean yeah I'd look, I know you shouldn't meet your heroes but I would love to meet him because I, I almost want it confirmed that he's an arsehole I, I know yeah. he is but how much <laughs> yeah like, is he poking fun at the fact that he is or does he just not know and and yeah. I think that he's he's clever and he's self-conscious I think those are the two things that you can say from what we've got definitely is that I don't think he ever does anything kind of um yeah accidentally I think yeah. that throughout his work, he's he's putting forward, you know, arguably different narratorial personas, but that he's always making conscious decisions. I mean, something that I find really interesting in the Ars Amatoria is that he talks about, you know, this work being based on experience in the opening mm. lines of book one. Yeah. And then you see little episodes of like uh, almost he, he goes into this semi-autobiographical mode at points in the Ars where it links up with episodes from the Amores. And that's something that I've always oh. found really fascinating. He, he has this, I mean, getting into the kind of dark underbelly of it straight away. But he talks about one time I pulled my girl's hair and essentially he tells about a physical assault on his girlfriend, um, which he also covers. And I cannot remember which poem it is in the Amores, but he, he talks about upsetting his girlfriend by kind of uh, lashing out at her and pulling her hair. Um, but in the Rs, he basically says like, um, the moral of the story is if you're going to attack your girlfriend, try not to rip her clothes because this ended up costing me loads of money. Jesus. Which is just absolutely insane. <laughs> and yeah, just just on like um, the metamorphoses, I think it's so interesting talking to people who come out of it from the Met almost because uh -huh. I've done it the other way around so I mean talking to other people who study of it as well and people who are just interested in him and 
if you read the Met and then you come straight into the R's, you're going to be absolutely baffled. Mm-hmm. Um, it made more of like a natural progression, the way that I read his works and kind of did bits and bobs of the Metamorphoses, but never really read it cover to cover until much later. Um, and now, you know, as, as part of like my teaching, I'm covering the Metamorphoses with first and second year undergrads mm-hmm. and hearing their thoughts on it. And, and like you said, talking about this sympathy that Ovid shows to women, you know, I'm really quite convinced by this idea that like some part of him is really interested in like the lived female experience. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of struggle to reconcile what I'm talking to them about. And then I come back into my own work and I'm like, this is <laughs> <Yeah>. a dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And I love that. It reminds me of you know, what I love about mythology so much, which is that like, it's all a contradiction. It, yeah. Every bit of it is a contradiction mostly in that case it's because we've got like a thousand years worth of sources and regionality and everything in there so it's like well that makes sense like that it, that is rational like why that everything yeah. is a contradiction in, when it comes to Greek myth but Ovid is like no it's just one guy <laughs> like how can just one guy be so contradictory and that is sort of like a different level of interesting like yeah what what is he doing that he wrote the Met and then he wrote the R's. And and I wonder if it's like this notion of mythological women being better or not better, like in his mind that they are, they are more deserving of sympathy because he hasn't encountered them. And like, because yeah, I mean, there's a major incel narrative <laughs> running mm-hmm. through the R's that makes you think that like, okay, maybe he's got a thing against real women, but he likes fictional, like it may, maybe like, <laughs> A good equivalent would be like women in video games versus real life women, you know, yeah, like this idea yeah. of of a false woman, like the guys who got angry when they made Lara Croft have smaller boobs, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it makes me think of that. Like, okay, he can love the mythological, but he can't stand real. Yeah, yeah. And it almost, I mean, you know, in the Met, it's a, we have that with Pygmalion. Yeah. Oh, God. kind yeah. of aligns himself with Pygmalion quite quite well which is mm. I mean he does it with a lot of the artist figures in the metamorphoses anyway but yeah Pygmalion he he seems to have quite a lot of sympathy for his you know disgust at women and then his crafting of a perfect woman and I, yes. I guess that'd be a really yeah like a, a kind of almost depressing view of like why Ovid has this fascination with women is he's able to write them in a particular way that that suits him yeah oh yeah <laughs> I like that idea. And Pygmalion is like so deeply one of the like grossest stories in the Met. And yeah, yeah, that feels right. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's so interesting. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think back on on having read the R's because like it's so I mean, I guess just to remind my listeners, though, I will have also done that in the introduction. But like Mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, it's called The Art of Love, but it really is like. A, a sort of step-by-step instructions on how to get a woman only they're yeah. all horrifying <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so um it's it's kind of uh, semi-didactic written in elegiac couplets so in terms of I mean ancient genre it's disputed what the Ars Amatoria is um it is yeah written as if it's elegy which leads some kind of meter plur- uh, purists to believe that it must be elegy um, but it's got a lot of didactic elements and it clearly takes inspiration from other didactic poems, um, like, you know, Virgil's didactic works and stuff like that. 
um yeah it's it's kind of it definitely is didactic in tone whether or not you know we look at the the meter and Ovid paints himself as the praecaptor amoris the the teacher of love um and he does that straight away like in line 16 of the first book I'm pretty sure he's he's like I am the praecaptor amoris and he it's probably the clearest persona he ever gives himself and he maintains that all the way through he also ends uh book two and book three with the the words like uh naso magister erat can't remember exactly the latin um and naso is like his middle name so it's uh. Na- uh, ovid was my teacher ovid was my instructor and that's what he wants his kind of students to go out into the world and say um, and obviously yeah. we've got this this cheekiness of Ovid running through it, you know, how much of this is him actually wanting people to be walking adverts for his seduction school, we don't know. But yeah, it's um, it's three books, and book one and two are directed at men, um, and book three is aimed at women, which is, you know, part of what makes this as a group of three so interesting, mm-hmm. is that he, he kind of dedicates book one is uh, how to find a woman you know to aim your affections at which he covers pretty quickly and then how to get that woman and then book two is about how to keep the woman um and he kind of delineates quite quite clearly the the points where he's changing tack with the with Mm. the male-centered books and then book three um it's yeah it's kind of all in it feels a bit more rushed I guess it's it's the same pretty much the same length as the other two um, and yeah, his his advice to women is is really interesting. A lot of it aligns pretty clearly with the first two books. Um, you get the equivalents, um, but there is this pretty convincing argument that book three isn't really directed at women. It's you know it's it's for entertainment purposes, and that obviously his male audience are going to be reading it too. Mm-hmm. Um, we get this kind of idea, especially in in certain scholarship of the men are kind of uh, kind of just off stage right essentially and Ovid's making little kind of winks and nudges towards them throughout book three um and it, even if you're not convinced by that and you take him at his word that he is talking to women in book three his advice is a lot more focused on looks um you know how to how to not be disgusting seems to be a large <laughs> thing you know he, he uses words like disgusting quite a lot um I mean I'd be interested in you know the actual split between the books um and then yeah at, at the end of book three has this kind of catalogue of sexual positions that women should consider <laughs> based off of how they look so it's like it's like if you've got stretch marks you're better viewed from behind like things like that it's really quite rude (laughs) in terms of you know explicit for Ovid he's not normally that explicit but also quite nasty talking about um you know so about petite women should ride horse women with longer legs should have them over their shoulders it's it's really quite full-on um and and he's kind of aiming this at women as if he's saying like I'm interested in your pleasure but what he's saying is, here's how to look best for your male sexual partner. Yes. So we've still got a hugely, um, a huge kind of interest in appeasing his male audience throughout the third book. So I'm not hugely convinced that it's actually aimed at women. And even if it is, the advice lines up pretty well with with keeping the men happy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that <laughs> doesn't sound like <laughs> it's really for women. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I just, yeah, I mean, my biggest memory of reading that for the first time was just purely like, what on earth am I reading? Like, what yeah. is happening here in the most enjoyable way? Because I think that's the only way that's like, well, it's, you know, the, the way to stay sane is to read something like that and laugh at it because yeah, it's utterly yeah. absurd. But that's how I feel about, you know, modern pickup artists and stuff too. Like, obviously they are also inherently dangerous, but you mm-hmm. still like, I think have to laugh at a lot of the nonsense that that men are being led to believe is like how to get a woman. I'm trying to think of the name of that guy. I think he's British American and he started that like enormous YouTube channel of like how to get women and also get rich. I listened to a a, a podcast episode about him. Do you know who I'm talking about? He moved I mean, to like uh, Eastern Europe to escape. <laughs> like the not Andrew prosecution. Tate. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's a big one at the moment, especially with with um with the kind of incel, the rise of incels as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. like it just screams all of his work from what I know, which is just listening to like uh behind the bastards podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> I had like never heard of him before, and I was like, oh my god, I can't stop listening to this. It's horrifying. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. This idea that like. I mean, it's just the 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 idea that even two thousand years ago, <laughs> there were people being like, "So you just have to neg a woman, like tell her she's ugly. Yeah. That's that's gonna turn her <laughs> to to your, <laughs> you know, advances." Like, I just yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible, and and the amount that does line up with the modern ideas. Um, so I didn't originally intend to like jump straight into that, but you you yeah. look at that too, right? Like this mm-hmm. the stuff that lines up. Like I would love to hear more about that because it's wild that two thousand years pass and it's still just yeah. as absurd. Yeah, yeah, and I think the main thing to say about that is we we kind of I don't know. I feel like especially people who study Ovid, there's there's this inclination to try and like almost defend the people that you're studying, um, and I think. Mm. I, I try really hard not to do that because I think he probably was, you know, like I say, just a bad, a bit of a bad person, even if he was funny and a bit emotional and interesting. Mm-hmm. I think he's still, you know, a product of his time, whether at the time he would be considered a bad person or not. We have to remember that for all his kind of posturing and his posing as, you know, a victim of his girlfriend and a slave to love, he was, an, you know, a, a Roman man of, equestrian class who was educated in rhetoric and you know turned down the chance to be a lawyer essentially so he's pretty he's doing pretty well for himself um yeah (laughs) also able to yeah able to write poetry as a career which isn't something that's usually open to other people as much as he likes the whole you know tortured poor artist um yeah he's got some privilege (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um yeah I think we really just like to say that certain people have, they haven't read him properly and that's why they've, you know, adopted him or co-opted him or however you want to phrase it. And I think what we're defining as reading properly is something that I'm quite interested in because I'm like, Mm -hmm. the words are there. Yeah. Whether, you know, we can't say that they're not for everyone. I would encourage people who want to read Ovid to take him with a pinch of salt and to try and get a bit more context and read the whole Lars rather than just the passages where, you know, he endorses rape and says all these other horrible things. But certain people have almost cherry picked quotes from mm. Ovid's work that, that they use to push their own particularly masculinist agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the pickup artist link um, 
is relatively well established. And I think Donna Zuckerberg is the main scholar who's really worked on this. Um, Mark mm. Zuckerberg's sister, kind of unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she she did a really good book called uh, Not All Dead White Men. I and have that. Yeah. I've never read it. Yeah. I need it's, to. Yeah, I have. To be honest, I haven't read the whole text, but the the chapter on Ovid is, is really instructive for looking at pickup artists. That's from 2018. It's only five yeah. years ago. Um, yeah, and she talks about uh, a particular pickup artist I know his surname is Strauss. I believe he's called Neil Strauss. And he's the guy who wrote The Game, like the big pickup artist manual that made it into the mainstream. And he literally calls Ovid like the father of modern pickup artistry. Does he really? Mm -hmm. So there are people endorsing Ovid as someone to look back to and saying like, look, what we're doing is right because it has a precedent of you know 2000 years people have been doing this and they do really use him to push that um yeah and yeah I think I think with the pickup artists that there's a couple of people but yeah Donna Zuckerberg's chapter on it is is brilliant and very informative and then with the incels I feel like it's something that hasn't been as touched on and the thing that kind of clued me onto the direct link rather than me just reading through and thinking this seems a bit yeah. incel-y. It screams <laughs> um, incel, yeah. 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 Um, there was a blog post on the Pharos doing justice to the classics website. Uh, it only came out this year. Um, and it was about Ovid's, well, the presence of ancient authors on the incel wiki. So Whoa. from what I can gather, the incels had their own Wikipedia page, but were getting frustrated with Wikipedia's like rules. Um, for what you could post and the moderation and so they created their own wikipedia which is terrifying like i've been on it um and i'm I'm quite scared that the university is going to take away my computer access at some point because (laughs) my my history is just not looking great at the moment like Like it's research it's research (laughs) (laughs) just like clicking through the incel wiki very happily um well obviously not happily it's, it's yeah. just awful but yeah I they bet. you and it functions in the same way as wikipedia where like you hover over um a hyperlink and it brings up the start of the article about that personal thing yeah. but it'll be an entry that they've written oh my so God. they have um a list of what they call proto cells so people who weren't who were around before incels were like a thing um you know a recognized group and they yeah. claim uh they claim people like Charles Bukowski as an as a proto cell uh they claim Jesus Christ as a proto cell <laughs> <laughs> like it's just insane they just have this list of people that they've decided were incels but if you then click on the hyperlink it takes you to a page that they have written about that person right about how so, how exactly that person yeah oh my god uh, yeah, that's where like the, the Ovid things come come in. They yeah. they use Ovid on their incel wiki page. Um, yeah, they they have a page called Timeless Quotes About Women, and they have oh about five God. quotes from Ovid on there, and no no referencing, no links to the translation that they've used, sure, not even yeah. which book it's from. No. One of them just says the art of love, but yeah, it's it's stuff about women being gold diggers, uh, women enjoying forceful sex. Like, they've really picked what they want oh my to God. put across. Yeah. And that that was where I got that, like, the real interest in it from, because I realised that not not only are, is there, like, this sense of incel-ish line of thought throughout Ovid's work, it, well, at least in places, um, but, but they are using 
his work to further their yeah. ideology. See, that I wouldn't have guessed. I guess I should yeah. have. But the idea that they're actually directly using him in that way just feels... I think it's just because I have such a poor opinion of them, obviously, where I'm like, you don't read somebody like Ovid. You're ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No, least because I just have to say, like, the more we... Like, I don't don't think about incels often, thankfully. Um, (laughs) But even just, like, talking about them this much, it just makes me want to, like... I mean, I know that, like, obviously you can't expect them to make sense. But, like, if you are building your entire personality around this concept and building an entire Wikipedia page or Wikipedia like concept around this, like, can't you also recognize that the term involuntary then no longer applies? Like this is yeah. clearly very fucking voluntary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you can just call yourself an involuntary celibate when you've dedicated your life to being this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's now voluntary. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> just like, it's truly, truly wild. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh my God, the idea of like, because I mean, the thing about Ovid, even like, uh, you know, like you're saying, like he was, you know, it, it seems likely maybe he was a bit of an asshole amongst being also very talented. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. You know, people can be talented and also misogynist assholes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like it, it, reading the reading the R's too, like there is so much that is seemingly intentionally comedic as well like do you think that that was also the point like a lot of these things seem to be like so ridiculous as to be intentionally comedic yeah yeah I think I think he's he can be quite like yeah just just overblown in the way that he talks and he's he's very conscious about as well kind of um picking his audience I think he's Mm. he's aware of his context and that especially in the book towards women he kind of says like you know only certain women should read my texts and then kind of midway through or just past the middle point of book three he starts saying like I wasn't going to talk about how to evade your husband because you know it's not right to encourage adultery but anyway here's a list of things that you can do so obviously (laughs) there's there's deliberate humor in here because he knows what he's doing and he knows that it's silly and subversive and you know I, I think that that's something that makes it kind of fun and enjoyable to read and also it's what makes these episodes that are quite troubling all the more shocking is, mm-hmm. is that it's kind of within this what seems quite a light-hearted text you know this idea of like the art of love or I mean there's there's debate about how to translate ours amatoria as well because ours is more like skill mm, um, interesting so it's it's more to do with um it is it is pretty much a manual it's like a the skill of the lover as well mm. amatoria is more it's the person the amator right so yes yeah, it's, it's like the skill of the lover and obviously ovid is the lover supreme yeah. um and i i'm really fond of this idea that although he delineates his persona in the ars as the praeceptor amoris which we don't really he is never explicit in the amores i like this idea that it is the same we're meant to read it as the same guy but just a bit more grown up Um, because it it was I think well I'm not you know confident on the dating in terms of you know how we do the dating and and it's not something that really comes up in my research that much but I know that there's at least kind of 10 or 15 years between the Amores and the Ars Mm. so we do get this idea that the Amores is the kind of um almost like 
just like the horny nonsense of like a 20 year old guy yeah and then when he's a bit more you know a bit older and a bit more mature he's kind of like right I've learned my lessons and I'm ready to share that with with everyone else I quite like this idea of a continuation between the two Uh, because we do we always put them together into one volume of translation pretty much you know yeah the one I've got is like it's just called the erotic poems and it includes all of them yeah This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Yeah, and even the Amores, some of them are very off the topic of love um mm, yeah i haven't read them so i gotta say they're, so. they're, worth, they're worth a read they're worth mm. a read um i mean book two in particular is the main one i've studied and in that you you have um a couple of like diptychs of pairs of poems where there's one where he's saying to his mistress um you know i 
I swear on my life and on all the gods that I haven't cheated on you with your hairdresser who would have been a slave woman (laughs) and then the next poem is him being directed to the slave woman being like how how could you give it away you idiot like really laying into her and you know it's it's just utter silliness but then once you actually read it you know again and again he then goes into quite he he like explicitly threatens her at the end and there's this underlying awareness of his higher status as much as he kind of pretends that he's at the mercy of these two women he's actually you know by the end of those two poems he's got them both kind of under his thumb um and in the middle of yeah (laughs) in the middle of book two of the amores um we have another diptych where his his mistress corinna has an abortion and he gets really angry at her because of how ill it makes her um, and then we get the sense in the second poem that she's feeling a bit better now and he's ready to go on a moral tirade at her about how it's unnatural. She's deprived the world of the potential for more of it is actually quite a large part of the argument. So yeah, uh, we, we call them love poems. And I mean, some That's of them horrifying. are more straightforward, but yeah, he, yeah, it's anything to do with relationship poems, basically, yeah, rather than that is... just like, you know, typical uh... love poetry. <laughs> Yeah, I think we need to remove the word love. Uh, yeah, from yeah. That, that's, that's horrifying. Don't make me hate you completely, Ovid. My God. No, it's that's, that's fascinating and dark. Having really primarily read The Met, I just think it's mm. so interesting to see it yeah. this way because I really, I do love The Met. And so I really have notoriously talked about loving Ovid. Um, and I think even probably when I read the R's, I was just like, I don't know, I kind of have to trust and hope that he's being tongue in cheek and being satirical. Yeah. Um, but hearing about the Amores, I feel like maybe, maybe it's pretty legit. Like, yeah, that seems yeah. like kind of how he thinks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, like, and it is worth you know noting that I'm picking out the the oh yeah fun or inflammatory ones. He he does have some nice stuff in there as well. Um, For sure, but, but it's yeah, like, it's well, more fun still to talk about the horrible stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and does it does it? You know, the fact that large parts of it are more straightforward and and nice love poetry. Does that actually kind of forgive Ovid of of the bits where he's talking about beating his girlfriend or cheating on her with her slave girl and stuff like that? Yeah, that's the thing. It does not. Uh, yeah. and so it's really okay to cherry pick the bad stuff for a conversation yeah. like this but also because like yeah I mean I think I think there's a, a a very strong mindset from certain groups of people that might suggest that like oh you can't judge somebody by only like one section of their work or whatever but it's mm-hmm. like and that's fine too but you also can't pretend that they didn't say that yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> like, exactly yeah yeah he still said all of this so here we are <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it, you know, it's part of what makes him kind of such an interesting guy to, to look at, such a, mm-hmm. you know, an interesting writer and an interesting historical figure is trying to work out, like you said, I, I do believe that the Ars, the Ars reads largely as, as kind of tongue in cheek. And that's the way that like, like you said, like I'd like to read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of, I, I always want these more hopeful readings of these things. And that's why I, I have really enjoyed turning back to the Met this term whilst teaching it is because I'm able to see Ovid in a nicer light than what I normally do. And remember that like, not only is he one of the most talented, you know, writers in the Latin language, he also has a some inexplicable understanding of lived, like female experience, lived experience of victims and of people of kind of um in the metamorphoses the 
the figures whose gender is kind of confused by the narrative or or who kind of either change their gender or have it changed for them it's you know he's he's got some really interesting insight mm-hmm. into these things I'd love to know what was going on there um equally there's an argument that he's just a bit of a deviant and just wants to talk about anything to do with sex and and that's kind of what we get through his love poetry I guess yeah um, and yeah there's something that I was thinking about is do we call it love poetry because I mean the Ars Amatoria I would argue is more sex poetry it's about how to attain kind of casual affairs for the mm-hmm. most part I mean he talks about keeping a lover um in in book two but largely it's it's based off of you know maintaining access to the girl keeping her interested um you know leading her on a bit with false promises promising her gifts but never actually delivering them because once you've given her the gift she can just run off with it so you have to keep stringing (laughs) her along um equally you know let her know that she's got potential rivals that you're wanted around town but not don't ever let her catch you in the act you know he he kind of prescribes this very walking of a very fine line um which I just don't believe is the way that you would treat someone that you were like actually courting I guess yeah yeah (laughs) or you'd like to think again (laughs) no and I think that that's yeah again what's what like screams modern pickup artist you know is that like it's not about finding affection and Mm. like a relationship it is about like I don't want to say tricking, but it is, you know, ultimately a lot of it is like tricking a woman, but it's, but it's also just that like, it's about control, right? Like it is about, it's about a man having control over not only a woman, but like the situation entirely like his, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's misogynistic at its like core, right? Mm. It's about subjugating women, but like specifically for sex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a really interesting kind of string of argument um, in scholarship that um, that the Ars Amatoria isn't so much about finding a girlfriend; it's about uh, being able to have sex with prostitutes without paying. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> which again, you know, some of these arguments are more illustrative of the the wide range of things we've got. I'm not sure how convinced I am by it, but it yeah, does kind of make sense. He has. He has a lot of focus on money. He talks a lot about gifts and exchange of kind of sex for goods, sex for money. Um, don't ever meet up with your girlfriend on her birthday because you'll end up having to buy her a present, like stuff like that. There's, he's really fixated on this idea of kind of exchange, I guess. Yeah. Which is just, yeah, absolutely fascinating. Wow. <laughs> It's yeah. Oh my god. I, it really yeah. It, it screams not even just modern pickup artists, but like a, a s- very large subset of modern dating. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just dating, and like I think you know that rightfully says how dark it, it can be to to date in the twenty first century. Yeah. But yeah, it really just kind of generally screams sort of a certain type of of man and like the way they might just talk to their friends just yeah. even just that that really specific thing of not seeing a girl on her birthday yeah, <laughs> like yeah yeah oh my god bending over backwards to like not do one tiny nice thing like it's yeah. what a mentality it's wild 
<laughs> yeah, he, he lists um he lists a few a few days when yeah where you shouldn't see her, and it's various feasts and and festivals as well where yeah. she, you would be expected to spend money. And then he suggests in particular taking her on a walk through town or the market on like the Sabbath, where a lot of the shops will be closed and things like that. Like he's he's really picky. It's I think you know whether whether you buy into the idea that this is actually about how to exploit prostitutes which is a much more serious reading or whether you think Mm. it is more just about you know women in general I think that the crux of it is is it's about how to get as much by giving as little and that is the kind of overarching theme throughout the Ars Amatoria um which interestingly I'm a struggle to find as such a strain in book three aimed at the women I guess interestingly but unsurprisingly um his yeah his advice to women seems to be a lot more kind of surface level whereas for the men there's a lot more I don't know deception involved but then also a lot of talking about women as deceptive right so it's their it's their fault yeah 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 (laughs) of course obviously obviously it's women's fault yeah I mean it just makes me think of like even just the number of of TV shows that I mean I think probably not so much recently but I'm old enough to remember the 90s and the 2000s mm-hmm. and like the early 2000s were a very dark time and you know like the number of TV shows that would just make a joke about like oh well like it's too close to Valentine's Day to get a girlfriend like you've got to wait until after and it's like if you really break that down it's like why like okay you're you just if you like a girl you really want that badly not to like buy her something like I just it's utterly wild to me and yeah it just screams this idea that like we've just really been dealing with this for so long and it's so absurd it's I'm just blown away that the world (laughs) continues to exist in the way that it does like how are we still here yeah no it's it's just one of those texts that I mean I almost hope that that one day we won't relate to it as much but (laughs) there's something something about the way that Ovid writes as well whether he's being you know in in texts where he's more serious and where he isn't you know this one I I do kind of see the argument that this is a bit of a parody of more serious didactic poetry and that he is kind of just poking fun he's like well if I'm going to write a didactic poem I'm going to do it in elegiac meter because that's what I'm comfortable in and I'm going to you know talk about love because that's what I'm comfortable talking about Mm. um and and either way I think Ovid as a as a writer throughout all of his work just there's something very human about him which is what I think and I know it's probably just a bit like wishy-washy but like that's what I think gives him such an enduring influence I guess Mm -hmm. why we keep coming back to him and people are interested in all the different types of his poetry and and interested in him in him for completely different reasons um and yeah mine just happened to be I guess kind of a a dark fascination with with whatever's going on in his strange little brain I mean yeah I'm equally interested it's like it's one of those things that I would much more I would enjoy much more fully if it you know wasn't so relevant like I would love to look back and be like oh wow like man people used to think that way that's crazy I'd love to read up about it and instead I'm like oh my god people still think this way holy shit and like doesn't change how interesting it is from the Ovid perspective but it makes it a lot more (laughs) frustrating yeah yeah but 
I would love to know more about um, part three, like at book yeah, three yeah. when he's like di- directing stuff to women. Because <clears throat> I mean, what little you've said is wild. Uh, mm. So yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear more about what wacky things he tells us to do. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he he opens it um, by kind of saying, "I've armed." What is it? He talks about um, the Amazons. I think it's I've armed Greeks against Amazons. And now it's time to arm you against Penthesilea. Is I think I've said that right. Um, so again, love is love is warfare. Love is a game. You know, this is these are really common things. I mean, love is war is is common all the way throughout. I'm just finding it. Yeah, I've armed Greeks against Amazons. Now I must fashion weapons for Penthesilea and her girls. A well matched fight is best with victory granted through the favour of kind Venus and Venus Venus's earth girdling son. So he's basically saying it's it's not fair for women to go into this battle unarmed. So, you yeah. know, he's going to do them the favour of of giving them some tips. How um, nice of him. Yeah. He's just lovely. Yeah. Um, he kind of immediately talks about, like, he, he then suggests that there's this kind of aside or interruption of, like, why would you do that? Either from, I think it's from the other men. Yeah, yeah, I hear you are. So why, basically, why betray a fold of sheep to the she-wolf? I hear you ask. Like, you know, there's a lot of hunter and uh, hunted uh, prey and predator analogies. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he's basically saying, like, don't, don't base your judgment of all women on certain women. And he gives the example of people like Clytemnestra. um, And then (laughs) basically does, like, maybe a few lines, uh, like, less than a dozen lines on good women like Penelope then um goes you know men are more often deceivers than women but here's a list of women who were deceivers and then just goes off on this kind of tangent so talks about Medea and people like that um so yeah it's it's pretty clear right from the start that I mean to me I believe that the men are either the intended audience secretly or that they're meant to be there listening as well um, yeah, you know, yeah, and so he. What does he talk about? He he largely keeps on with these kind of um, lovers' war and lovers' a game metaphors, and that he is making it fair by by doing this. So, so thanks very much, really? Ovid. Yeah. Um, the main thing that I've drawn out through just like skimming back through the books in preparation for this is that the amount of focus on how to present yourself is astounding in book three compared to book one and book two. I mean, yeah. in, I think it's in book one where he has maybe like 10 or 20 lines about like, um, don't over-preen yourself. This directed at the men. Um, he talks about mm. don't pumice your legs until they're smooth. Don't curl your hair. Do you think that Theseus would have done that? You know, just just all of this stuff about like, no one wants a man who's over-pruned, but equally uh, make sure that um, that you don't have nose hairs and bad breath and like these are literally the things that he lists um wow. it's kind of and he talks about a male stench which I just think is hilarious <laughs> um, <laughs> and and that's kind of the extent of of the advice towards men about about how to present themselves he, he has a little bit about yeah make make sure your shoes fit and your toga fits you know so you don't look like a slob uh equally don't overdo it so yeah do the basics be hygienic wear clothes that fit you and that's about it for blokes. And then, yeah, we, we look at the women and it's just, it's just constant. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he 
has a lot of kind of nature metaphors as well about women are plants or not women are plants but you know um he says about taking care of yourself and and says that um you get the best vintage from well cared for grapes and things (laughs) like that just like take care of yourself and you're going to produce the best what you know appearance or the best sex what what is he actually getting at there yeah 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 exactly so yeah he, he um he talks a lot about um specifies hair makeup clothes um and also not to let a man see in see you kind of in the process of getting ready talks about sure yeah you um, can't give away the deception exactly yeah yeah and he says like one time he he made the mistake of going into a girl's bedroom while she was putting her wig on and she had (laughs) it on backwards because she'd rushed and he you know couldn't ever look at her the same way things like that he he talks about um certain things that girls should train themselves to do well so um singing and dancing are all very charming um talks about things to avoid so yeah he's like his kind of overarching advice to women is know yourself but that's kind of meant in the sense of know your faults and avoid showing them um (laughs) you know things like if you've got big teeth don't laugh really wide and just like really nasty stuff like that um i'm trying to find the other bits please go horrifying yeah yeah I also love him using the idea, the the example of Theseus as like yeah. the correct manly man, like of yeah. all the heroes. Like I yeah. think you did something really specific by selecting that one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to, so towards the end of book three, he goes on. He has like a short, kind of mythological, um, I guess, aside. Um, where he tells the story of Procris and Cephalus. And then okay. once he's finished that, he then goes into the list of the sex positions. So it's all a bit like, it, it's sometimes in the R's, it feels like he's just either trying to meet like a word count or really wanting to show what he can do. You know, here's, here's a story mm. as I would tell it in the Metamorphoses, but this time it's in Elegiacs. And he'll just do a hundred lines of a, like a, mythological disgusts basically um yeah. i mean there's some quite convincing arguments that they're not actually like meant to be read as bits outside of the text that they are actually informative to the text they are important but yeah. kind of for the purposes of of something like this it's easy to just skip over them and then yeah after he's done kind of telling their story which the moral is um to him is to uh, try not to fall too quickly into distrust of your male partner. Okay. It's how oh, he takes so their it's story. Progress yeah. is fault. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. <sighs> yeah, and and then it just yeah goes straight into uh, how many lines do we have here? Like thirty lines of if you look this way, you're better viewed this way during sex. If you if you look this way, you're better doing this. Give some mythological examples, which is always helpful. You know, oh he, my God. he imagines um, Andromache and people like that in bed and then um, <laughs> ends it by saying, uh, after the pleasures of sex, like don't kind of rush too quickly to ask for a gift. Because it'll it'll just scare him off, and then equally, 
don't open the bedroom bedroom windows much of your body is better left unseen and that's how he kind of ends it so i mean there's this constant i think we don't get like really any advice to neg women in book one and book two it's all about how to take women's faults and turn them into something really like it says something about like if she's skeletal call her svelte if she's a bit chubby call her like I don't know it said like bouncing or something like that like (laughs) use use nice synonyms essentially yeah Um, but then in book three which you know what would a female reader make of this and what do we as modern female readers make of this that like he's kind of just saying like your body's not great here's how to do the best with it do we think that book three is actually designed to further his kind of erotic project of book one and book two which is the reading that I kind of subscribe to is that whilst I don't believe it's exclusively aimed at women I believe that he wanted women to read this and that actually he's making them more susceptible to the kind of tricks of the trade that he's advising to men in books one and book two yeah and it it almost sounds like he's also you know he wants them both to read it but he also wants the women who are reading it because they should Mm -hmm. to know that the men are reading it too yeah like it's clear that it's not like it's it it's not just for you because you know the men are obviously more important in this scenario so like you should know that I'm not telling you any secrets that they are not allowed to know yeah yeah because I mean within the first few lines of, of this book he's got that you know why are you why are you giving them secrets and yeah. it says you ask like who's this you it's clearly not the women it's, no, it's, it's the, the men to whom he yeah to whom he directs the yeah. first couple of books um and like just go back to the start of book one he opens it in quite an interesting way it's like if there's anyone in Rome who is not like adept in love let him read my book and like results are guaranteed and I just find that really interesting. This this kind of, I guess, the difference in the way that he directs it towards the men and the women. Book two, we don't get it as much because it's seen as quite a continuation of book one. He's mm-hmm. kind of like, right, now on to the next topic. Just picks up where he left off. But yeah, book three, he has to refigure it. And it's very clear that the men are there. He's not hiding the fact that his, his male audience is still present. Yeah. No, it's <clears> important <throat> that the women know, the men know, because... Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it adds to the level of gross where it's like, okay, well, I'm telling you to do this stuff, but the men know that I've told you this, which means you are at fault if, you know, yeah. you are look a certain way and you don't position yourself in that yeah. Yeah. ascribed way because they know that I've told you. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, like this extra level of horror yeah. <laughs> of just like no no like you best listen to me because the men are watching like yeah yeah (laughs) yes kind of do do as you're told essentially yeah it's it's really interesting because yeah he frames it with the you know with all these kind of war metaphors at the start it's like almost empowering the women he's giving them equal arms as the men but I mean arguably they've got like half as many lines dedicated to them nowhere near as in depth it's it's a lot more about how to kind of present yourself in kind of a sexy way and, and an attractive, desirable way um, and how not to be gross. Whereas for the men, it's it's a lot more specific. Um, and there are a couple of points in the first couple of books that I, I wanted to draw on because we're kind of I feel like we've like. Talked about the grossness of the first couple of books, um, 
But yeah, if it's okay, I wanted to get into just a couple of those episodes just to Please. really like make it clear what we're talking about when we're saying that it's, yes. it's gross and it's horrible. So, um, I mean, the first one that I picked up on is is very quick in book one. Um, and it's probably the most like commonly known bit of grossness in the Ars Amatoria is um, he starts to talk about where to find a girl so how to find a girl that suits your fancy and he's like you won't you won't you know be remiss in Rome there's plenty of girls talks about all the different ages and types of girls that you can find in Rome and then um, says here are some places you can meet girls and his main place that he prescribes is the theatre and his example of why the theatre is a great place to pick up women is the rape of the Sabine women where Romulus put on this um, like fake, well, like a spectacle to, uh, I think the the kind of, I don't know, the, the surface level idea of it was um, to get the Sabines down to Rome and, and create some kind of peace with them. Um, but obviously there was this secret plan that they would kill all of the Sabine men and rape all of the Sabine women and take them as wives because, you know, they'd set up this wonderful city of Rome, um, but they didn't have any women or not enough women. So they decided to just steal some from the neighbouring tribes. Um, and I think that the backstory is that they'd had like, um, they tried to create some kind of marriage treaty and the Sabines had turned it down. And so they were like, oh, OK, as recompense, come along to these games that we're going to put on. And yeah, Ovid just then he says the theatre is a great place to meet women. Um, and, you know, Romulus set this precedent when he gave the secret signal and then describes he just goes into this kind of, yeah, this this uh, not even the side. He, he goes through quite a almost metamorphosis-esque description of the rape of the Sabine women. Wow. Um, talks about... Um, you know all of the different ways that they showed their their panic and their fear and he's very aware of their fear the same way that he is in the metamorphoses yeah um but and he then talks about how um many of them managed to make panic like sexy he thinks ah! that he, dis he discusses them <sighs> having like some of them went pale some of them blushed some of them ripped their hair and it went all frenzied and that was really attractive so he he's kind of touching on the the real severity and the horror of the rape of the Sabine women yeah but then being like and that's why the theatre is a great place to meet women and then he just yeah. moves on it, it's insane yeah I just I mean one I know if this is a podcast but I need everyone to know that my face uh looks absurd <laughs> that. but I just like for one it never ceases to amaze me that Rome wrote that into their founding mythology and I think <clears throat> yeah as a as a lover of Greece I think it says a lot uh <laughs> like for all Theseus was a piece of shit uh they did not write a story like that into yeah. their mythology yeah. um but aside from that like that is wild that is yeah. especially compared compared to the Met yeah like, we feel for the women in that yeah it's making yeah. me not so much yeah yeah and it's just it's just a baffling kind of like editorial choice to be like you yeah. know because he doesn't give many examples for the others he doesn't give historical precedents for the other mm. places that he says are great for meeting women you know the promenades and he, he specifies like um a few different like 
landmarks that are great places to pick up women and they're all landmarks dedicated to augustus's family so people read that as a bit of a dig um you know i'll meet them at like um like it's like octavia's colonnade or whatever um and that's kind of it and then he does the theater goes off on this like 50 page 50 line you know excursus about the rape of the sabine women in extreme detail and then just goes, don't forget the races. The races are also a great place to pick up women. Um, but with the races, he talks about how the seating is really confined. And it's, a, you know, this is what they, I they can't escape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it, it facilitates um, physical contact. And you think like, OK, if you left it there, arguably a bit creepy, but maybe OK. And he's like, because she can't get away. And it just, yeah. <laughs> but you're not it's helping so yourself of it. <laughs> No. Okay. This uh, I meant to ask this earlier, but you've really set it up now with the Augustus mm. reference. Where does this fall in his exile? Like, yeah. cause he was exiled by Augustus, right? And yeah. so there's, I know there's a lot of debate about like whether even the Met is written kind of as a dig to mm-hmm. Augustus and like kind of how he felt about him. So do you know where where these poems like? fall into that timeline yeah yeah so I mean it's it's definitely pre-exile um the dating is it's around like zero between like 2 BCE and 2 CE essentially right from from what I know um yeah so so we've got that before his exile I think the Met is usually dated to around like 8 CE um so this this kind of predates that Although that's not ah. to say that he wasn't working on the Met mm-hmm. at, the, at the same time, because it's, I mean, it's 15 books long. He, it probably yeah. took him a very long time. Um, yeah. And, you know, arguably you could see like the the beginnings of the Met here with these mythological mm-hmm. excursuses that he goes on. Um, so, yeah, the, the big thing about Ovid's exile um, in the Tristia, I believe, or Ex Pontis, one of his pieces of exile poetry, he claims that he was exiled for what he calls a Carmen et Error, so a poem and a mistake. Um, hmm. And people take the Carmen usually to be the Ars Amatoria. Um, they believe that, you hmm. know, with Augustus's moral laws about adultery and the protection of the family, mm-hmm. Ovid kind of prescribing casual sex, promoting adultery, all of this stuff is, it just doesn't sit well with what Augustus is trying to put forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really trying to, protect the roman family and ensure that the elites were reproducing at the right rate um ovid is essentially sticking his fingers up to that whether on purpose or not so yeah i think i think like you say it's very debated um what he was exiled for we don't know what the error was either the mistake um there's a suggestion which i find quite convincing that he got himself involved with someone in the julian family and you know maybe was involved in some kind of adultery within the imperial family. So that that would be a pretty good reason to exile him. Um, yeah. But as far as I know, his wife goes with him to exile as well. So who mm. knows? Um, not to say that he wouldn't cheat on his wife, you know, from his poetry. No, I think he would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of the the general consensus, if we can call it a consensus, is that... Right. Um, usually it's argued that the if there is a Carmen, a, a poem which was responsible for his exile, it's got to be the Ars Amatoria. And if there was a mistake, it's likely to be something that would be a personal slight to Augustus. Um, right. 
you know, how much truth there is in that, we we don't know. And again, it comes from Ovid's own kind of autobiographical, in inverted commas, writing. So how much he, he would, yeah, exaggerate or try and, you know, it, it would be a really good self-promotion technique to say. Yeah. Because it maybe he just made a mistake and then was like, I'm going to say it was one of my poems as well. And then people are going to be fixated on it for 2000 years because he was yeah. the type of poet who thought forward. And, you know, the metamorphoses, yeah. he's like, I've sealed myself into the literary canon now. And obviously and he's, he's lucky. he's not that wrong. He, yeah. <laughs> This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. He's lucky that, you know, his work got preserved in manuscripts. I mean, we've lost his yeah. Medea, which is really tragic, but most of his work I was survives. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, uh, just even hearing you reference Medea mm-hmm. earlier, uh, I mean, I've always been fascinated by the fact that he had a Medea that we don't yeah. have. And like, 
what was that like? But, you know, from my love of the Met, I've always mm-hmm. been drawn towards the idea that his Medea could be, you know, in the vein of, I mean, of the others, right? The ones that do survive because both Euripides and Seneca tend to be fairly um, sympathetic to her plight. Yeah, yeah. And now I wonder. Now I wonder if it <laughs> would just be like this like massive pro-Jason, like Creusa didn't deserve it kind of yeah, thing. Like yeah. I'm so curious. <laughs> I know. It's it's such a travesty. It's one of those things that you hope will just show up one day in one of these yes. old, you know, rubbish dumps where they just discover stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I'd like to think that, yeah, that, that he would you know be part of the like justice for Medea team yeah Um, I I think that yeah the the poetry like that where arguably he's taking it more seriously so you know that would be a a, I guess a play of sorts um Mm -hmm. or or even if he was telling it in the same way as the Met um I do believe that he has a more serious tone in those even though he's still himself Mm -hmm. and he's still a bit jovial and he he is always you know got a bit of tongue-in-cheek I think that he's capable of being a serious writer. And I, I like to think that in Medea, he probably would do that. I think that the yeah. Isles is the example, the, the biggest example we have of this just absolute absurdity. Um, yeah. I feel like I keep calling it silliness, which is quite reductive. It's just the word that comes to mind. But yeah, it's it's absolutely absurd. Um, yeah, there's... It is kind of comforting to call it silly though, too, because yeah, I think we yeah. have to, like, I think we have to be reductive because that's like I think that's actually almost important yeah, because yeah. make it shouldn't be taken seriously at all. It is yeah, silly. Yeah. <laughs> like that's I think a good thing to emphasize. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, like what you're saying, like he can be very serious in the Met. I mean, particularly in the Medea episodes of the Met, he's quite yeah. serious. Makes me think of Pro- Procne and Philomela, yeah, where yeah. he is incredibly serious. Like that is a, a traumatic story, and he tells it like a horror show yeah so it is yeah. so interesting then to to turn to this work and and see sort of this other side because yeah I mean he was he was very capable of serious poetry yeah, and serious yeah. storytelling yeah it's interesting yeah. you bring up yeah Procne and Philomela because it's it's one that I've been doing in these lessons with about the Met and well oh. about about kind of women in ancient literature and the example from the Met that we've used is that story and uh-huh. teaching that is really interesting um oh but people God, come at yeah. it from completely different angles as well like um some people read it as purely just horrific and that's because he's a man and he's taking pleasure in showing this horrible event and others see him as really really sympathetic towards Philomela and and you know I mean through this it's not the type of poem or or kind of episode that I think I would have revisited of my own accord really and actually going back through it and really thinking about her I think that she is such an interesting character and Ovid's portrayal of her is really interesting because she kind of maintains her femininity throughout everything that happens to her a lot of his especially his rape victims um well barely any of them get revenge at all yeah. most of them are metamorphosed as part of like a a way of saving them in inverted commas yeah. um and yeah the fact that she she gets revenge revenge but arguably isn't really masculinized in her strength she still mm-hmm. maintains this real femininity and that was something that a lot of people have like you know talking about it that that they've resonated with it's like 
rarely do you get ancient women who are strong without also being kind of masculine. If you think of like Atalanta and figures like that, who are like, I'm going to remain virginal in a way where I compete with men so that they can't like win me over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's she's a really interesting character, and it's it's so difficult to yeah to reconcile Ovid in episodes like that and yes. Ovid the Ovid that's written this this piece where yeah he's talking about the Sabine rape and saying like that's why you should go to the theatre and you know yeah. this is funny and and I mean I you can see the same kind of seriousness and understanding of the horror of these assaults in that short passage about the Sabine rape but the context that he sits it in is completely just it's just yeah a huge juxtaposition um and he does yeah I think book one is the the most rife with this kind of stuff so a bit later on um he he says it's all right to use force force of that sort goes down well with the girls they love to yield what um what they'd love to yield they'd often rather have stolen so this is one of the quotes that again you know we talk about him being kind of absurd and that as kind of I guess I don't want to draw too much of a distinction between like learned readers and like layman readers because I, Mm. I believe that everyone should be able to access this poetry and understand it but like surely you have to have some kind of deliberate blinkers on to read that and be like cool I'm going to apply that to my life now but that's what's yes. happening. And that's why these texts are so important to keep going back to is because someone has read that and gone, right, so forceful sex is okay, especially to the point where it's basically rape. Although I don't believe he uses the word rape. The translation I have um, says, yeah, the audacity of near rape is a compliment. Well, that sounds like he is uh, picking, <clears throat> I don't even know what the word I want, but he is, yeah, picking and choosing what he's calling rape. Because literally, yeah. if you... I mean, you've just described rape. You can't just then call it near rape and say, well, I didn't. I didn't say rape. Like, well, if you describe non-consensual sex, I'm sorry to tell you. That's what it is. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Reminds me of, like, obviously the point of my podcast is to talk about Mm -hmm. how most of Greek mythology involves assault. And we've not been taught that it is assault for, like, the last hundreds of years. But the number of times that I have been told that, like, you know, because say the story of, um, you know what, I'll say the story of, um, of say Europa, right? Like, mm. like, I don't think that one's, I think, no, it is often described as the rape of Europa. Yeah, yeah. You know, like these, these stories that we, we call that, we call it the rape of a woman. Um, but that obviously that terminology, you know, has been used for hundreds of years and so people will come to me and they'll say like oh no no that's just an old word that meant abduction mm-hmm. and I just look at like I mean obviously I'm not never looking at these people it's always online but I just want to look them dead in the eye and yeah. be like why do you think that is why do you think that the word for abduction used to be rape is it because that was the intention of the abduction yeah, like get a yeah. grip yeah Th- that's the whole point like you can't just say it wasn't rape just because you want it to not be when yeah. you described it <laughs> what you described was a rape what can I tell you like yeah 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 that's oh that's so yeah so wild. <laughs> yeah yeah I think yeah and that the only other point I had on on this type of stuff that I just really wanted to draw out is um yeah. a bit a bit away from that side of things um still in a similar vein but not as explicitly about raping women I guess Um, something that he kind of preaches throughout is is 
this idea of like I guess like a meritocracy of like um work hard enough oh, no. at your pick up pick up artistry and you know oh work hard enough at your seduction whatever we want to call it you know it, it's yeah. essentially the same stuff that is in modern pickup artistry um yeah. yeah work hard enough and you will be able to win over any woman and I think that that is like a really I think this is actually almost the crux of the issue is that that is such a dangerous precedent that Ovid is saying any woman can be won over and this is what's dangerous about pickup artistry and how it links into incels is yeah. people feel like they have a right and that this is you know that that being told no means try again later and when That's they keep exactly getting what I was told just no, gonna say yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but no means try harder like yeah yeah okay. and that, this is what it is they're saying like he literally is like be persistent uh if she if she says no just try again another time or keep keep persisting um and he literally does prescribe just work harder work hard enough and you can have any woman and he talks about um women's libidos being much stronger than men's um, which is a, a very interesting thing that I think has persisted quite a lot through history and especially like female medicine as well. It's quite dangerous, mm. this idea that like women women are really lustful. Um, so yeah, he he talks about the female libido being strong, then talks about it being like equivalent to a kind of Minad style frenzy. Oh my God. Um, and talks about his examples of female lust are all examples of incest and bestiality. Oh, good. So he, he talks about like episodes from the Met, which is why I'm like yeah. really hesitant to talk about the dating because it's it's just something that I'm not sure of. And I feel like he's yeah. either written part of the Met at this point or is like published bits of it. I, I really don't know on that side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's talking about um, Mirror. And her wanting to sleep with her father. He has oh another God, example yeah. of incest. Um, he talks about Pasiphae and looking at the bull <laughs> and being just overwhelmed oh. with lust. Oh and like he, he describes female lust. It, it perpetuates this idea, which you still see today, of like not only it, it's it's kind of this use of um, like <laughs> kind of feminism against itself, where they're like mm-hmm. women have sexual agency, um, but they're they're told not to talk about it by the patriarchy and that's bad so what we have to do is decide for them what they want and that's the level that's kind of been reached today and actually it's interesting to see this with Ovid that he he has a similar thing but obviously just not quite as as conscious of itself I guess where he's saying yeah women are inherently lustful and sex crazed and therefore they will go for you if you try hard enough like of course they will no yeah. idea about exclusively lesbian women. I mean, I know that homosexuality wasn't conceived of in the same way in the ancient world, but like, yeah, there would have been women who only wanted to sleep with women. There would have been asexual yeah. women. Yeah, there's there's just this yeah this concept that like they must want you somehow, and I think yeah, yeah that's like I guess like the main point that I wanted to make about the kind of the dangers here. It's not all just cherry picking certain aspects of the text and putting it into this modern context which is a huge issue it's also Mm. there is this rhetoric here which I I believe has been continued I don't believe that all of these people are using Ovid as a direct source I think that it's a continuation over you know thousands of years of this idea that yeah if you work hard enough you'll be able to get what you want and there's yeah no kind of concept of a a woman's right to say no and a woman's 
just the idea that women might not want to sleep with you, which is why yeah. men get these disillusioned men who yeah. believe that they are involuntarily celibate because they're like, yeah. well, I'm trying. They're just assholes. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe don't be an asshole. That's, yeah. that's the number one solution for incels. Yeah. <laughs> be not gross. Like, yeah. God. Yeah. It reminds me of so much rhetoric from today where you know that these people aren't reading Ovid in Mm -hmm. most cases. It's just that this persists. Like the idea of, you know, the guy who's mad because he's a nice guy and the girl keeps going for someone else. And it's like, hey, dude, maybe you're not the fucking nice guy. Like you're not the arbiter (laughs) of that. And then also this idea that like, no, it makes me like I I watch a lot of like TikToks from like women who are happily proclaiming that they're single and child free because that is what I am and mm-hmm. it's nice to like not be alone and and like the number of times that they'll reply to a man's comment where it's like, Oh, you're gonna end up a <laughs> an old cat lady and the women are like, Great. Yeah. Do you think that's a threat? Like if yeah. the if the decision is between and it's I I realize I didn't even register the fact that uh, I'm sitting here with my cat on my lap. <laughs> yeah, had to I pause did think that, that sentence. <laughs> yeah, pausing that sentence to um, deal with the fact that my cat uh, won't leave me alone. But but like yeah, like this it's like okay if I have to choose between a shitty man who who is just going to make my life more difficult or the complete freedom of living on my own with a loving little cat. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, I'm going to be sad for the rest of my life because I don't have you at this asshole, like in my life. Like it's this, this bizarre mentality that, that all women must Mm. like, or just for sure. Like all straight women, let's even just go that far. Like all straight women must want a man that's the ultimate goal and eventually they will get so tired of being single that they'll settle for a piece of shit and it's like i don't know how to tell you that being single is like pretty great like i don't answer to anybody and i do not (laughs) need that to change unless the guy is amazing yeah yeah (laughs) and guess what they're mostly not and that's fine too you know it it really reminds me it's literally something i saw today um there's you know around this time of year in particular I don't know if they do it in like you know North America as well but in the UK we have these reclaim the night marches where Mm -hmm. um especially as it starts to get darker because of uh, like daylight savings women will all gather and just walk through the town and it's about you know we should feel safe walking at night Mm -hmm. and um I wish we had that but we don't yeah yeah (laughs) um there's one happening in Exeter at the end of this month which is why it's kind of fresh in my mind and they shared this it was just a Twitter exchange um And it was this guy saying reasons why women are single. They walk too fast. They have their headphones on. They're rude when I try and talk to them. And it was like someone had replied to it basically saying like the three main ways that women present like protect themselves from unwanted attention is by walking fast and wearing headphones and being abrupt. (laughs) Sue, sir, we're doing that on purpose. Yeah. That is intentional because we do not want to talk to you i don't know how to tell you like that's not an accident yeah (laughs) but i really think that that's such a it's such a good like way of understanding their mentality like a lot Mm -hmm. of the time like obviously we're generalizing obviously but like but again like i mean if there's a if there's a dude listening to my show of all shows who thinks that when i say this i mean him specifically then you know what probably i do because the good ones realize <laughs> that i'm talking about the shitty ones yeah, yeah. um we're gonna like, get loads of not all men in the comments <laughs> yeah i'm fine I'm fine it's like my entire show <laughs> like it's fine we're, this is not new but like yeah the, this this mentality that like we must want 
a man and it is mm-hmm. because like the the reasons why we're single are stuff like that walking too fast with headphones like oh you must you need to stop doing that because you want a man it's like that yeah they they can't fathom that that's on purpose yeah <laughs> that's yeah. like yeah that's the whole point yeah, yeah. i walk yeah. with headphones on so no one talks to me <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, like it's, i 100 percent safety that. thing yeah yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah. And also just like, I mean, safety, yes, absolutely. It's safety. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, I I think it's so important that we like are so open about all the different things mm-hmm. that women do to protect ourselves from yeah. men. But like, in addition to, it's also that, you know, nine times out of 10, if a dude talks to you on the street, he's being a creep. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm not feeling like explicitly unsafe, you know, like it's, it's light out, I'm in a crowd of people, whatever, like, I still want to avoid a creepy dude talking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's still the point. Like, I think, you know, one of the last times that that I had a guy try to like, you know, I'm walking around with my headphones in and, and like, you know, they have like make a motion to you yeah, to like take yeah. them out or whatever and it's like for me which is not visible on this call but like for me one of the the things that men do most is to like they think they're complimenting like I'm covered in tattoos and and they just like think they're complimenting and they're always fucking weird and it's like <laughs> there it's such a it's a kind of similar mindset specifically tied to I think women with tattoos that like the idea that that I that I got them and I and I want men to talk to me about them and like yeah, that's why yeah. I got tattoos and I'm like I can't assure you enough that like these are not for you I don't yeah. want to talk to you about them I don't want you to compliment my ink like you're always going to sound like a dumbass and it, yeah. and it's always dudes who aren't tattooed because dudes who are tattooed get it and you're like I just yeah I find it it's so entertaining to, so to like, kind of navigate you didn't go through <laughs> hours of needles stabbing your skin and pay you know yeah. hundreds and potentially thousands of dollars to get this stuff on you for a yeah. guy to stop you in the street and be like mm, cool ink <laughs> like honestly and it was just the word tat and i just yeah yeah the word tat more than anything anyway yeah Yeah. oh just the ways that this is just still so relevant is i mean i i knew but it's still my god it's horrifying yeah Yeah. i mean just to like i guess bring it back into it a little bit there's it's you know if we're talking about women out on the street i don't know how much of that you know will end up on the on the cutting room floor but the idea of like being able to walk around and not be bothered um he, he does talk about in his advice about you know how to how to get a woman approach her when she's out in her litter so like her little walking group with her uh, kind of companions that are guards that are keeping her safe um make yeah. sure that you vary her pace so that sometimes you're ahead of her sometimes you're behind her um make sure that like whenever you can you brush your hand against hers and and that just reads as like stalkerish and and he, yeah. he says like literally follow her down the promenades if she goes for walks make sure you know where her walking spots are like stuff Ew. like this it's just like it's it's literally follow women but also rub up against them as much as possible without seeing if they actually want that like I think as a woman reading these texts you're kind of just like that really isn't good advice because I mean to not to give him credit but I guess like certain bits of it are just interesting or seem to be about forming good relationships it's you know it is like take care of her when she's ill and then he'll finish that off with the seeds that you've sown will reap you a big reward in the future. So So you can't even be nice about this one nice thing. I was trying to give an example of him being nice and I just backed out. 
<laughs> I just realised that wasn't a good example. But no, there, but... Are, there are bits and pieces where he gives advice yeah. that would actually be relatively useful. And obviously those are ones yeah. that I haven't touched on because they're, they're not as fun <laughs> as well and as interesting and just inflammatory, yeah. you know. Um, but I, I would never advise anyone to read this book and actually take any of it as advice because there is this yeah. undercurrent all the way through of just just persist and get access to the woman at any at any cost essentially yeah I mean that's true of all like of modern pickup artistry too where it's yeah. like this is not going to work you have been yeah. conned into thinking that this will work yeah and and that's simply not the case it's horrific advice what are you doing <laughs> yeah yeah and, and with modern pickup artistry as well there's this uh, kind of even clearer idea to bring it back to like the the meritocracy and like if you work hard enough you you get what you want not only is that mm. in Ovid's work it's more just like a dangerous precedent to set but in mm-hmm. modern pickup artistry, they will make them keep paying to come back. It's it's not exactly. only exploitative of the women that they approach, it's mm-hmm. exploitative of the men who take part in these things. There's a, a really good piece um, by, it's kind of a sociological text uh, by Rachel O'Neill uh, called Seduction. And she basically immersed herself in pickup artist cultures in or like kind of seduction groups in London Um so this book came out, I think, in 2018. So it was like for a couple of years before that. And she mm. talks about like the the money side of it, that like they just they just keep paying to come back. And a lot of them end up really disillusioned by the end of it. And I think that that's yeah. where like pickup artistry on its own is pretty dangerous and creepy and weird. But once you then get these disillusioned guys who have had their heads filled with ideas about what they deserve because they've worked so hard and paid so much money that's where I think that the real danger lies in all of this and that yeah oh yeah that they can take an ancient text that certainly does have these elements in it and just present snippets of it as as evidence it really gives people the the idea that what they're doing is right as well which is why I think it's it's so important to talk about these poems especially as people who are reading them in a wider context understanding the context that they were written in and you know, knowing that Ovid is rarely serious in in his love poetry, um, mm-hmm. and that you know, whether you whether you you know buy into him just being like a fun little prankster or not, I think there's this idea that people who aren't familiar with the context are just taking it for their own means, and yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's why I think it's really important that we we keep talking about them. There's this suggestion that like, should we teach the Ars Amatoria? like absolutely Mm. we need to content warning loads of it but I think it's really important that we are talking about it and understanding where these thought processes come from Mm -hmm. yeah no I mean it makes me think of like the the number of times that I have been told that like I need to just stick to the mythology and not talk about the treatment of women and I'm like that's literally what I'm doing it's that the mythology treats women like shit and if we keep yeah like if we keep only taking in these these versions that have been retold to wash over all of that and pretend as though all these women actually loved Zeus even when he was a fucking swan God, like yeah yeah like like that's what's ridiculous like what I'm doing is literally talking about the ancient sources exactly as they exist yeah I'm yeah. sorry if that makes you uncomfortable like <laughs> that's how it is and and yeah I mean it it is very applicable to Ovid and yeah I mean for for all that like 
yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that he recognizes the absurdity in a lot of the R's. Like he is still saying it. It does still exist. Like we can absolutely still talk about it. And it's the same, you know, like a lot of people hear me and they think that they're like, why do you talk about this if you hate mythology? And I'm like, I fucking love mythology. I just am still going to talk about how it was awful to women. And it's like, I'll still love Ovid and his Met and like be fascinated by him and register that the R's is gross and yeah. dangerous, especially today. But like, yeah, I mean, we, we can have both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And like, we don't know what he was like as a person. And, no. you know, I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of echoing what um, I know you had uh, Freddie Kimpton come on here. Mm-hmm. And something that he said really kind of resonated with me because I mean, we've studied together and we talk about Ovid quite a lot and we we come at Ovid's work from completely opposite points of view as well in terms Mm -hmm. of he's focusing on different poems to me and I think um the the thing that Freddie said that's really just important for the R's as well is like all we have is the words Mm -hmm. so so you know in terms of if we are to just reduce it to what we have written down what we have written down is difficult and worth talking about and that's kind of mm-hmm. the the crux of it I guess is just that no matter whether we read it as meant to be kind of tongue-in-cheek meant to be taken seriously these words still have effect and it's you know a different reader can interpret them differently and there are readers out there who are taking this at face value and, mm-hmm. and going out into the world and behaving in the way that Ovid says to behave which mm-hmm. just yeah isn't the type of world that I kind of feel safe in I guess yeah yeah well and what you said earlier um you know about how, how like one yeah like I, modern pickup artistry is a uh, full like they're scam artists mm-hmm. in the exact same breath that they are misogynist assholes like yeah. what they're doing is dangerous <laughs> for women but it is also scamming men like they are talented in their or be just generally being horrific but also like yeah the the mentality that it um that imbues that it that it that men think they deserve yeah women and sex like that's that's the danger and yeah like you know if 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 examining and talking about this ancient work can also like you know draw light on on that that's still happening that that these you know ideas still exist and they're still disgusting and we you know still can like break down kind of what what is going on there or 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 just like enlighten people who who aren't like that you know about these works and and like allow them to kind of see it um for what it is both absurd and you know and dark and twisted and you know like i mean yeah it's still it's absolutely still valid also to 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 study problematic works yeah yeah like as long as you recognize that they're problematic like exactly i mean like this isn't entirely the same but i fucking love medea like i'm fine when she kills her children because it's fictional and it's and it's 2,500 years old and like, I can just still enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting when, any, whenever any kind of ancient work comes under fire like that, or I think about it in the opposite respect where, where like the right wing conservatives are like, they're trying to cancel Homer. And you're like, oh my God, get a fucking grip. Like <laughs> the, the closest thing to ever even remotely attempting to like stop studying something would be something that is out right dangerous like yeah. the ours and even still like i think we should still study it yeah but, like i mean god the idea that anyone's trying to cancel home or get a grip <laughs> yeah yeah oh it's it's ridiculous i think yeah with with the whole you know if if we were never to study texts that were problematic classics and ancient history as a discipline would be dead 
it would be gone. All literature would yeah, be dead. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. I have an English degree, <laughs> did a double major. I can tell you that studying English lit is just as problematic yeah, as studying yeah. classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find out, you know, that the guys that were writing all of these amazing pieces of literature just absolute yeah. dicks in their personal Nasty. lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, yeah. Oh my God, this, <laughs> I knew this conversation would be good, but... <laughs> It's it's fucking fascinating. It's so gross. Like I do love though to to laugh at it in this way yeah, and to yeah. point out the absurdity. I do think like you're saying like it is so beneficial but also deeply enjoyable. Yeah. So thank yeah. You. No, it's really really fun to just like yeah, to have a bit of time to talk about it in this way because it's it's difficult when you're studying something like the arts to to get across this kind of, I mean, you know, I've I feel like in terms of scholarly views I have sat very much on the fence throughout this whole thing and that is where I am at the moment is like I'm not sure whether I read Ovid as sincere or tongue-in-cheek and that's the really good kind of thing about I guess this format is that I don't need to know I I haven't really written all that much (laughs) about the R's because I just struggle with it too much I'm like I'm going to disagree with myself in two years time so yeah it's it's really nice to have the opportunity to just to just chat about it and talk about how absolutely fucking insane it is and and well yeah yeah. because like (laughs) yeah I mean no matter which side you fall on of that question Mm. it's still fucking absurd so this conversation is just as valid regardless of of what opinion you might form or then change two years later or whatever because the like you said or like Freddie said on my that past episode like the words are what we have mm-hmm. and the words are absurd and yeah. silly in that way where I think it is kind of nice to be reductive because it is so just over the top ridiculous yeah but yeah I mean regardless of what Ovid did or did not mean or of whether he was a cool guy or a piece of shit or somewhere in the middle like regardless of any of that he wrote this and here we are so yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. we've got <laughs> yeah no absolutely oh. Yeah, it's just I I love it. Um, but clearly, like we can talk about it forever, but um, <laughs> we won't. But is there? Uh, do you want to share anything with my listeners in terms of reading more from you or following you anywhere? It's also fine if that's not something you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I relatively active on. I was going to say Twitter, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. it yeah, I I'm feel not like calling it's, what it. Yeah, it's it's like a, a form of protest Speaking to of keep calling it shit. Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Speaking of men who are pieces of shit, yeah. we're just going to keep calling it Twitter. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have yeah, like public Twitter and Instagram. Both are Imogen underscore Briscoe. Um, I mean, I'm not massively active on either in terms of posting, but I repost things that are to do with my work. So that's helpful um and I co-edit a magazine which is free to access online it's currently on a free version of WordPress we're hoping we might be able to get some money together to you know make it ad free eventually um but yeah it's called Ecclesia magazine um the kind of the idea behind it is it's something that myself and it was well one of my friends from my MA came up with this idea kind of post MA because he was out of classics and missed it so much that he wanted to still be writing about it and still be involved in that world. Um, oh, I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> That's why and I have like, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the whole ethos of it is like accessibility. So um, it's always going to be free to access, even if that means that it's on a bit of a, a you know, an ad ridden platform at the moment. Um, 
Also, we accept submissions from anyone, regardless of level of, you know, academic achievement. We're, we're not looking for exclusively, you know, doctors, PhDs, things like that. We've got a couple on there just because obviously that's my kind of work circle. Um, but yeah, we publish on anything to do with the ancient world. So I've written a couple of pieces for that. Um, I've written one on a poet from Devon called Fiona Benson, who's done a book um it's it's a lovely poetry anthology but really hard-hitting in places um where she kind of refigures a lot of stories from the met and she recasts zeus as like a modern rapist so in mm. places i mean it's called zeus obviously it's jupiter in the met but a lot of mm. her sources are taken from the met so she has a, a kind of a daphne episode and io mm. um and she kind of it's kind of timeless, but like recontextualizes it a bit more modern. So basically the, mm-hmm. the premise is that Zeus is on trial um, and we're seeing different oh. pieces of evidence against him. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. I don't um, know how I haven't heard of this. Yeah. This is like everything I want. Yeah. Oh my God. So okay. we, we've actually got two pieces published on that one piece of work because a couple of us are just absolutely obsessed with it. So yeah, I wrote something yeah. about um kind of this idea of timelessness in victimhood and mainly focusing on Fiona Benson but I think that that idea is really applicable to the Met as well um Mm -hmm. so yeah that that's the main thing to push is you know Ecclesia magazine we work very hard on it we've only been doing it for like seven months so it's still a bit of a baby but you know any readership is is brilliant for us and then yeah we're we're always looking for secondary editors people to write for us stuff like that so um let me just double check what because our handles are different on Instagram and Twitter at the moment yeah, Ecclesia mm-hmm. underscore magazine. So Ecclesia is in the Greek word for like a gathering, not ecclesiastical churches. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, on, on Twitter, it's Ecclesia underscore mag, just mag rather than Great. magazine. Yeah, that's I the main thing to promo. To yeah, yeah. Yes. No, I'm so glad to have heard about that. Brilliant. I will, yeah, I'll link to everything in the episode's description so people can find it, but I'm also just going to go and follow. Yeah, have, have a little places. look. <laughs> I will. This yeah. is exciting. I love learning about new things too, yeah. but I'm also always happy to to promote that stuff. So Yeah, thank you um, so much. Yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah. No, I, I love that that exists. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was ridiculous amounts of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, it's just so nice to be able to, yeah, just just talk about the absolute absurdity of this text and not in a kind of a lower pressure context. Yeah. I'm not having to come to any big conclusions. <laughs> it's lovely. It's my favorite thing about this show. We're yeah. just going to rant and ramble about yeah. the ancient world and like, and everyone loves to listen. So yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nerds thank you so much for listening as always enormous thanks to Imogen for having this conversation like not only is it a topic I so wanted to talk about more but we just had so much fun um, which is hard when you're talking about something utterly horrifying but we did great together and I appreciate it I can't tell you enough how horrifying some of the Ars Amatoria is not least because of the ways it has inspired modern dangerous men Uh Uh-huh. But fortunately, when something is so utterly absurd, it's also seriously fun to make fun of. Just like the entire incel mentality. Maybe just don't be an asshole. Have you ever thought of that? 
Anyway, this episode was long enough, so I will just leave you by saying that you can find links to Imogen's social media that she mentioned in the episode's description, as well as the Ecclesia magazine, which seems very wonderful and cool. The more accessible ancient content, the better. So find links to everything in the description there. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians, better known as the assistant producer. Laura Smith is the production assistant and audio engineer. The podcast is part of the iHeart Podcast Network. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you will get bonus episodes and more. And and current patrons, I, I promise you will hear from me soon. It's been a time. Um, visit patreon.com slash missbaby or click the link in this episode's description. A reminder about my Patreon, it is primarily considered to be helping me with the free podcast. You do not get a lot of bonus content and I will not pretend otherwise. I do not have the time. I am, I am perpetually drowning, but there is a lot of backed up bonus content. And if you want to help, you would be just helping me produce, you know, two free episodes a week. (laughs) I am Liv and I love this shit. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.